and welcome to Let's Meet the Virologists, a podcast about the people behind today's virology headlines, people just like you working to understand viruses and how they affect you. During the COVID-19 pandemic, we are talking with staff scientists involved in coronavirus and COVID-19 related research so that you can learn who they are and what they do. I am Larissa Thackeray, and I am hosting this podcast from America's heartland in St. Louis, Missouri. With SARS-CoV-2 running rampant and Thanksgiving holiday less than two weeks away, we are waiting to hear about the efficacy of monoclonal antibodies and other therapies for preventing or ameliorating COVID-19. On November 13th, 2020, we talked with Dr. Laura Van Blarken, a staff scientist in the Diamond Lab at Washington University School of Medicine, who has been characterizing novel monoclonal antibodies against SARS-CoV-2 and escape variant viruses that could potentially arise following treatment. Laura received her PhD from the University of Maryland focused on antibody responses to dengue virus. She then conducted postdoctoral research in Mike Diamond's lab at Washington University School of Medicine. Her research in the Diamond lab has focused on the immune responses to viruses, including studying IFID restriction of RNA viruses, testing an mRNA vaccine against Powassan virus, and developing and characterizing neutralizing antibodies against Powassan virus and Western equine encephalitis virus, as well as SARS-CoV-2. Hi, Laura, happy to have you with us today. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? How did you become interested in virology research? Thanks, thanks for having me, Larissa. Uh, so I am currently a staff scientist in Michael Diamond's lab at Washington University. Um, I'm originally from Pennsylvania. Uh, that's where I grew up. Then I went to both undergrad uh, and graduate school at the uh, in Maryland. Um, and then I moved to St. Louis for a postdoc in the Diamond Lab, and now I'm recently transitioned to a staff scientist there. Um, and I got interested in, in virology research, actually. It's sort of started budding, in, my interest started budding, I would say, in undergrad. Uh, I originally thought that I wanted to go more into an ecology type fieldwork type of research, actually. And then I took in my... I believe it was either junior or senior year of college, uh, an immunology class and a microbiology class. And I just remember being really fascinated by how it all works. The, the, basically the, um, how virus, uh, microbes and viruses interact with the immune system to evade the immune system, how the immune system responds to these pathogens. And so I was really more at that point interested in that host pathogen interface, either from a microbiology or virology standpoint. Uh, and then when I went to graduate school at the University of Maryland, um, that's where I actually took my first virology class. Uh, and yeah, I guess I just fell in love with it there and started rotating in virology labs. Uh, yeah. Um, had you had any exposure to sort of uh, science or virology in your family or in high school? Not, not much. Um, my dad was more of a, he, he did the more ecology based stuff. He does a lot of like wetland surveys and stuff like that. So that's why that interest sort of butted in me. So it wasn't really until I started taking classes in college that I decided I wanted to do microbiology or virology research. Well, okay. 
And how did you get to sort of choose your graduate or your postdoc labs? Can you tell us a little bit about those processes? Yeah, so for me, it was talking to the PIs about the research, you know, when you're trying to, you have a general idea of what you're kind of interested in. You have to keep an open mind about that though, because that always changes. You know, you think you're going to work on one project and that doesn't work. So you end up working on something completely different that, that happens. So for me, it was finding PIs whose personalities I clicked with um, that advocate for their students or their postdocs. Um, as well as, you know, who have uh, what I thought was an interesting research program. So for me, I, I, I prioritized both when I was looking for uh, either uh, my graduate mentor or my postdoc mentors, like who, who will be a good mentor? Who can I talk to? Who cares about me? Who cares about how I'm doing? Who will help me succeed? Uh, and I think I found that for both my PhD and my postdoc mentor, uh, very for I feel very fortunate with both both mentors, actually. Yeah, that, that's uh, very important to look for. Um, so to follow up on that, um, what has been the most exciting uh, science moment in your career so far? So sort of something, something exciting, some maybe eureka moment that you've had? I would say, you know, as far as eureka moments go, maybe I'm still waiting for that. <laughs> I feel like for me, science tends to be you know, incremental, you, you go in, you maybe find one small, you make small progress, little baby steps at a time. So I don't think I've had big, huge shifts in the way I've thought about stuff. But, you know, it's always very exciting the first time, like you do something like the first time I pipetted by virus, you know, it's just like, whoa, like <laughs> I'm handling virus right now in this tube. That's, exciting, maybe sometimes scary at first, then you get over it. Uh, I guess then what has been sort of the most ex exciting science discovery you've had so far? I have found, so I've always been interested in antibodies and understanding how they recognize viruses, uh, how the immune response develops these super potent molecules uh, in response to these pathogens that can mutate really fast. I think antibodies are just awesome tools. They're very fascinating to study. Um, so I've always had an interest in them and that's what my research has focused on uh, for the past decade or so. Um, and, but more recently in my research, I've started doing more antibody discovery work and trying to develop monoclonal antibodies uh, and characterize them. Um, and I, I just find that part really exciting, you know, taking something that didn't exist before, um, harnessing it and developing it for study as a tool, as a therapeutic, as a way to understand the immune response to viruses. Um, yeah, I, I find that just very exciting. So I've done, you know, several different hybridoma screens by now. And every time I do one, it's, I, it's just the most exciting thing to me. I love them, <laughs> making something new. Yeah, yeah. So I guess to follow up on that, why don't you tell us a little bit about the hybridoma screen you've done for your SARS-CoV-2 work um, and some of the uh, studies you've uh, recently deposited on bioarchive or not bioarchives, but the preprint server about the escape mutations. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So, you know, back in January, when we first started hearing about the pandemic, we had a, a lab meeting about this, um, trying to decide, you know, what we're going to do. Cause we knew at that point that a lot of us would have to shift focus. Um, and because I've had a lot of experience already in the lab, um, doing hybridomas, hybridoma screens and developing antibodies, um, I decided I wanted to develop some monoclonal antibodies against the coronavirus. And so, you know, we, our strategy was uh, to immunize mice with both the um, spike protein, as well as just the receptor binding domain, the RBD of the, the spike protein, and to develop these mouse monoclonal antibodies. Uh, this is a very popular topic of research right now. Tons of labs are working on it. So um, it's, it's an exciting time for antibody research, actually, because these papers are just coming out at <laughs> record pace. Um, yeah, so we developed these panel, this panel of, of monoclonal antibodies. And, you know, there's a lot going on, a lot of antibody research going on with it. So trying to decide, like, what can we do with these antibodies that maybe... Um, is a, a little bit novel. And so we collaborated with uh, the Whelan Lab, uh, especially, specifically with Joe Ming, who has um, done a lot of this escape mutant, gen uh, escape mutant uh, generation. So he took these panel, this panel of antibodies uh, that neutralize, potently neutralized the coronavirus and uh, passage the, vir the virus in the presence of these antibodies. Specifically, he used the VSV pseudotyped uh, virus and found these mutations pop up uh, around the receptor binding domain that uh, escape neutralization from the antibodies, but not just these monoclonal antibodies, but from polyclonal serum from patients who have been infected with the virus uh, and so the concern there is that, you know, it, virus, if it mutates in nature at these residues and can escape recognition by most of the neutralizing antibodies um, in, in a person's serum, then that's a problem from uh, an immunity standpoint. So if people might not have resistant, might not have immunity to novel circulating strains um, that have mutations at these sites, or from a vaccine standpoint, if the vaccine response is targeted against these uh, uh, spots as well. So that's what we've been doing in, with some of the antibodies in collaboration with the Whelan Lab. And what's sort of the next step in this research? Um, is there, I know that some of the cocktails that are being tested in like uh, the clinical trials are monoclonal and some are like uh, two antibodies. Is that part of the reason to use sort of a cocktail as they call it? Yeah, for sure. Definitely. I think monoclonal antibodies just have that caveat of an, a virus might escape actually pretty quickly from, from that antibody. But if you have two antibodies that bind two unique spots on the virus, then it's harder for the virus to mutate uh, both of those spots at the same time. Yeah. Okay. Um, and sort of going back sort of on the converse more generally, what has been the most difficult thing you've had to overcome as a scientist and how did you overcome it? 
I guess I'll get a little bit more personal with, with that question, that answer and say that, because I think it's something that a lot of people struggle with is imposter syndrome, um, which is sort of this, this fear that maybe you aren't good enough or you don't belong in, in the field or, you know, what you're doing. Um, I think overcoming that probably is one of the bigger hurdles for me personally. Uh, and I think it's pretty pervasive throughout, throughout academia actually, um, because you're basically you're at the cutting edge of your fields and you don't know everything. And that's, that's, what we're, that's why we're doing this. We're trying to figure stuff out. But I think it can make you think you don't know anything. <laughs> yeah. And what do you, what, so what steps do you do to kind of combat that? Or how do you, how do you address that? So this actually comes back to, to the, um, when I talked about having good mentors who would advocate for me. And I've, I've had such good mentors who, you know, I can talk to you about that, that stuff and who, who are my advocates and who, who can be like, no, like, this isn't true. You do belong here. You're doing great. <laughs> and, and who will speak up for me. And yeah, so that's, that was, that was a, a big way that I addressed that. Through help. Through help. And talking to other, you know, colleagues too, not just mentors, but you can look, look to other lab members in, as well. Cause you know, I know I'm not the only person who's ever felt, felt this way. So sometimes just talking to other people helps too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, I guess sort of related, um, if you had a chance to ask your older self one question, so say you 60, 70, you're about to retire, what would you want to know? I would ask about uh, work-life balance. I'd ask for advice about that. Because I think it's something I, I, as well as many other scientists that I know struggle with, is this, like there's a lot of pressure to work very hard, to work long hours. Um, and I think the older I get, the more I start to appreciate time outside of the lab, actually, and family life and, and doing other things. Um, so I'd probably ask about advice about that, how to, how to manage that and, and um, how, yeah, if I would change anything about how I've managed that. Yeah. Yeah. So actually related to that, um, during the COVID-19 pandemic, obviously, sort of our balance of work and sort of even our hobbies have really been disrupted. So how has the COVID pandemic affected you as an individual? Um, yeah. Um, definitely the lack of going to see my family. They all live on the East Coast and we just haven't traveled um, to see them. And I usually go back on at least one, usually two trips a year. And, you know, we're going to skip holidays this year. Um, so that's been really tough because my family's important to me. We're pretty close and I, we do Zoom meetings, um, but it's, you know, it's hard to, to not be physically present. Uh, I think the other big thing um, is, so my husband and I, we got married in 2019 and our plan was to do a honeymoon you know, it was a little bit like a belated honeymoon this year and we <laughs> just called that off right off. So um, maybe some, someday we'll get to go on our honeymoon. 
Um, and then sort of related as a virologist, how do you make decisions about uh, sort of risk or how to protect yourself and your family from COVID, getting COVID? Yeah. So my husband and I, I guess, have it a, a slightly simpler time because we don't have any children. We don't have any kids to worry about childcare uh, or whether they're in school or not. Um, so that's definitely simplified uh, how we've had to think about things. Uh, for us, we, I mean, we, we're trying to fo follow pretty um, import the important guidelines of, you know, social distancing. We don't hang out with friends and we don't go to bars, we don't go to restaurants. We have been hanging out with some friends socially distanced outside um, in small groups still. So we're not getting together in big groups. Um, but I, I do feel like the outdoor gatherings, as long as we're not next to each other, that that's felt pretty safe. Um, yeah, so we are trying to pretty, pretty much do, yeah, the masking, social distancing, outdoor hangouts, virtual hangouts, um, that sort of thing. Yeah, minimizing trips to the store. Um, and then um, what about, uh, have you picked up any sort of, sometimes like people's hobbies or their ability to do their hobby has changed. Has, have you picked up anything new in your free time during the COVID-19 pandemic? Uh, so actually my husband and I are already pretty outdoorsy people. And so I think, you know, because the outdoors tend to limit the spread um, and, you know, outdoors, there's a lot of space. You're socially distanced anyway. It's actually it hasn't affected our hobbies too much because we can still go do some of those things. Um, we go hiking, we go running, we, we still go rock climbing outside. Um, you know, but we, we do tend to do those things a little differently. Like we don't go in groups. Um, so it's smaller, like, you know, just the two of us or maybe one other friend or something like that. Um, our dog has gotten a lot of walks. She's very well walked. <laughs> um, yeah, I did get I did go through a little baking uh, phase, but <laughs> that didn't last too long because <laughs> I think I was eating too much sugar. <laughs> the downside to the baking party. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, great. Well, I think we're wrapping up now. So do you have any last messages for our listeners? We're sort of heading into the holidays during what's clearly an upswing in COVID-19 cases. What do you want to tell our listeners? Yeah, my advice is if you're dedicated to doing the holiday gatherings with people outside of your immediate households, um, now is actually the perfect time to start quarantining, strict quarantining. For everyone who's going to be getting together, because um, I think it's about two weeks away now. Um, maybe actually, you probably should have started two days yesterday. Um, but you know, I think it's important to minimize the group size. Um, and for my husband and I, we've just decided that you know we love seeing our family for the holidays, but this is not the year we're going to do that. We're going to celebrate with just the two of us and you know, probably in a couple years, hopefully next year, um, we'll be able to get back to the big gatherings. So life will return to normal eventually, but it's not normal right now. And we're just trying to accept that and be happy with where we are and what we can do with each other. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Great. Thank you very much.
Laura's previous experience characterizing antibodies against Powassan virus and Western equine encephalitis virus made her an ideal person to develop new monoclonal antibodies against SARS-CoV-2. This has been Let's Meet the Virologists, a podcast about people who study viruses. This is your host, Larissa Thackray, and thanks for listening. You can find us on Google, Apple, and Amazon Music Podcasts or at lmtv.podbean.com. If you are a virologist interested in sharing who you are and what you do, please contact us at letusmeetthevirologists at gmail.com.